0: Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at ThriveCosmetics.com slash Thrive. That's ThriveCosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S.com slash Thrive for 20% off your first order.
1: What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. My guest today, Gabriel Garcon Montano. Is a neo-soul artist who's blowing up quickly after being sampled by Drake, going on tour with Lenny Kravitz. And uh, he gives us some pretty interesting insights into the inner dialogue of an artist. Uh, for a young guy, he kind of has a lot figured out as far as his, what he calls his mission statement, knowing when it's time to step up his game. And not listening to the critics, especially himself. So tune in and uh, let us know what you think rebel radio is brought to you in partnership with edm.com the world's leading curator for all things electronic dance music if you haven't been over to edm.com check it out i think that you're pretty much guaranteed to find some music you'll like even if you're not into edm they have so many different styles there's hip-hop there's all kinds of things that you wouldn't think of as dance music but uh, some really good music there and this week's Track of the Week from EDM.com is from Elaine. The song is called King of Thieves, and it is a mellow, sexy groove. So check it out. Welcome back. We're here on Rebel Radio, the podcast where we talk about the art of selling without selling out. We talk to artists on the bubble. About to blow up, and I think we have a great guest in studio today, Gabriel Garcon Montano. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for being here. Uh, I got to see you last night at uh, Hotel Cafe, and uh, it was it was an amazing show. For, for anyone listening who's not familiar with Gabriel, uh, Gabriel was a Red Bull Sound Select artist. I think we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, he's been on tour with Lenny Kravitz, and uh, one of his tracks was... Was sampled by drake and uh it feels like there's a lot of good stories that you're experiencing so far already i will say you know i've been listening to the music and and i've found you through your management so josh and jackson are good friends they're they're part of the extended family we do a lot of work with them and when they told me about you and and shared the soundcloud i was interested i liked the music uh, I got to say, seeing it last night took it to a whole new level and got, I really got a lot of dimension about you that I hadn't heard on, in the recordings. Um, and so I'm curious sort of how that's, how it's different for you, you know, live versus
2: versus uh, recorded. Mm-hmm. I made the record in 2012, so I was a different musician. Sure. I had different vocal abilities and um playing the songs for 3 years you just kind of start doing them a new way yeah yeah every once in a while i'll listen to the record and i'm like oh yeah that's <laughs> what it sounds like right and, yeah that's cool and yeah i don't i'm out of the mind that you have to go back and try to like fit yourself into what that sounds like you just this is me singing the song today and tomorrow i'll do it another way or well, i mean you know not on purpose but sure. you evolve
1: no, I, I think the recordings are good. They're just different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got, when I when I first was listening, uh, you know, I got a lot of Omar vibe. Hmm. He, the singer
2: Omar. Hmm. You familiar with him? He, he's an R&B? Yeah, kind of
1: hmm. R&B, neo-soul, British guy. Okay. Uh, when you were listening to the record? You when got... I listen to the record.
2: There's nothing like this.
1: Last night, um, I got a lot of Prince, mm. a lot of D'Angelo. Mm. And I think a lot of that was the intensity. Mm. That, you know, uh, that, you know, the, the neo-soul in general, I think is a very restrained genre where there's a lot of just really easygoing. Mm. You know, it's almost like easy listening, uh, which I think you could say that about R&B in general to some extent. Um, obviously, there's exceptions to that. But, but on stage... There's there was just a ton of passion. I want to talk about the drummer a little bit because it was just you and the drummer. Yeah. And what he was doing with with the sounds and effects was was pretty incredible. Yeah. So how do you, how do you put a show like that
2: together? Um. Well, for the most part, it's the stem the drum stems when they're not um, when it's not an actual um, piece of the drum kit. I just took the stems and put them on the pad so mm-hmm. that so that you can get the aesthetic of the record, yeah and um and then anything that's outside of what's on the record, it just sounds we like, and um we're 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 just playing the songs down sometimes we have little interludes that we go into, yeah, that are and stuff like that is born um on stage usually rehearsals just yeah, sure. rehearsal's always like a recap of, of you know stuff that has happened. Usually, usually on stage, the vibe is way better than at rehearsal. Yeah, I'm sure. Rehearsal studios, I haven't found ones with really great sound. And oh, really? Live, you have everyone has their own monitor. You know, it, it feels nice, and so mm-hmm. it gives you a platform to to like kind of get lifted on. So I mentioned the influences I heard.
1: Uh, is that I mean, the am I right? There or are there other influences. Yeah,
2: I mean, Prince and D'Angelo are loom very large yeah. in my life. I love them. What uh, what was the first Prince record that you um, It was Sign uh, of the Times the the second disc actually
1: Okay and Any song in particular? S-
2: I think it's I think If I Was Your Girlfriend is the second track mm-hmm. and that was the first one that um, my mother's boyfriend at the time I was 15 he he asked me to do him the favor of cleaning his studio floors and so he said um, do a square foot per song and just scrub that one square foot oh, once, wow. once the song is over and then move to the next one and then he um he said i'm gonna put this record on for you and then he said i built houses to this shit no kidding and and then Still. Came on, and yeah, and it was really weird contextually at 15 to hear that. Sure, because mm-hmm. so. I didn't know that his voice was that he did very speed on his voice, which is he slows down the track and then sings it, and then everything gets speed you know, sped back up. Mm. It's a common practice, or also just taking your master and speeding it up at the end just to get it tighter to get your vocal a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people do it. That's why it's, sometimes with old records, you try to learn them on the piano, and they're like in between two notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, the sound of his voice, it was just, like, it was really funky and, like, really, he was really in there, but, but just the way he sounded so different than other men yeah, was, like, really freaky to me. Yeah. But I was really intrigued because, like, I could tell how, how great it was, but it just kind of, just, like, disturbed me, gave me the, the shivers. Is that right? Yeah, but then I listened to, I mean, I listened to that for a week, just Sign of the Times, one song at a time with, like, this meditative mm-hmm. scrubbing the floor. Wow. And by the end, I was just in love with it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. My prince experience a little different. I was
1: ten, and um, uh, Dirty Mind was out, and it was big in my school. And I, my grandparents took me on a cruise. We're in Mexico on this cruise, and in the bottom of the cruise ship was a disco, and it was. And so I go down there at you know ten o'clock at night or whatever. And I'm a ten year old in this disco, and he's playing. Actually, I remember he was playing Physical by Libby Newton-John, and I walk up to the DJ, I'm like, hey man, can you play some, can you play Head? And, and, and by, by Prince, and the guy looks at me and goes, who's Prince? And I just walked away, like I had, I'm sure he's like, who the fuck is this 10-year-old That's bothering awesome. me, right? Awesome. Yeah, that was, so, that was the beginning of my, my Prince career.
2: first print song that I covered. It was with, with my funk band. Oh really? When I was 19 yeah. So tell us about the band before what was what were you doing before this? Um well s- starting like 12 I was I, like wrote like some kiddie songs and I was like really into Nirvana. Mm. So they had like clean kind of somber uh, verses and then in the chorus I would like I would start screaming and the distortion would come on. Wow. Kind of like smells like teen spirit that formula. Sure. Um and then came out of that, and then 15 was like singer-songwriting, uh, listening to a lot of Jeff Buckley and Radiohead and The Beatles. Um, and that got kind of depressing, playing in cafes, just kind of like my sad songs, whatever, <laughs> and not having a mastery over arrangements and just feeling like it was all just chord, chord, chord. Like I felt like like there's so many people who do that. So, mm-hmm. um, And then getting into R&B music and funk music with all the arranging, yeah. was my way kind of out so I started just binge listening and like really investigating and then put together a group that ended up in its final incarnation was like four horns three singers myself a guitar player keyboard bass and drums and I wrote all the music and did all the arrangements transcribing like Sign the Family Stone mm-hmm. all the stuff from Fresh Stand Life um, Earth Wind and Fire P-Funk James Cool and the Gang and and writing all the horn charts and figuring out who was playing what notes and like how this stuff was woven together gave me like this whole three dimensional outlook on an arrangement yeah so then I kind of brought some of that back to then my songwriting in earnest which is kind of what you have now if you
0: want me to stay
2: I'll be around today to be available for you to see I'm about to go To stay. I got to me. You'll
1: never be yeah, I mean, I think we saw some of that, that last night. Definitely about. that. Uh, yeah, yeah, at the end, of distortion and kind of, you know, got heavier through the set, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. So did you, at, at what point did you realize
2: that you wanted to be
1: a musician as a career?
2: Um, I remember one time when, I think I was like nine years old, when it dawned on me that you had to work to live and mm-hmm. so you had to make money. I was like, oh no, my <laughs> life isn't just gonna be going to the park or doing whatever. I'm still realizing that. Yeah, it, me too. It's been pretty hard. Um, and I was like, okay, well, what would I do to get money? And then I rattled off like your the, the, the tropes that are handed down astronaut, policeman, fireman, doctor, sure. veterinarian. And then, and my mom's a musician. So I was like, I think I would do that. What kind of music she'd make? Um, vocalist, multi-instrumentalist. Um, she sang with the Philip Glass Ensemble, uh, New York City Opera, the chorus. So classical music, Brazilian music, a lot of old music.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's cool. So, and then and you studied yep. f- formal
2: music training. Yeah, I did Suzuki violin, mm-hmm. which is all by ear. You're, you're you're given sheet music just to follow along to, not not specifically to to sight read from. Mm-hmm. You learn it from your teachers showing you, and then you when you're at home you look at the sheet music to guide you. So, did that f- the violin from like six to thirteen, and then kind of self taught drumming and guitar and rock and roll vibes. Nice. And um, I I got really into drums. I went to LaGuardia Guardia high school for drums, and I had like a double double kick drum pedal and splash symbols, and I was doing like the, the whole fusion thing like the wannabe fusion thing sure um and then SUNY Purchase um with uh, studio comp which is studio composition mm-hmm. songwriting with an emphasis on like a little bit of production and whatnot mm-hmm. interesting
1: mm-hmm. um so in that uh what's been a, a piece of some feedback or criticism you've gotten that like stung
2: you know, but but you knew it was true. When, throughout the years, yeah. So anything that stands out. Well, Henry Henry Hirsch, who I made my record with, mm-hmm. he's he's been one of my foremost mentors. When I was fifteen, um, we we started working together, and and he would have me record drums, and then A B me with John Bonham, A B my vocals with Jeff Buckley's. Wow. And he'd be like, "This is you." This is John. You're not a real drummer. This is you. This is Jeff. And so he showed me like wh- where I was at and where I wanted to be. Yeah. And I would cry straight up.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, our producer, Cassandra, is not here. She's in New York, but she I went over questions with her this morning, and she told me all my questions sucked. And so we rewrote them, and she wanted me to ask you about what someone had said that made you cry. And I said, I'm not going to ask. We're two guys are not going to sit around. I'm not going to ask that. But I'm glad you bring that up. Yeah. She'll be happy to hear.
2: In recent times, I haven't really heard anything. Yeah. In, in fact, more recently, I've been the one who, who, to, say, to say, I think I suck. And people go, no, no, it's great. Sure. So. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't
1: understand that, that idea of being your own worst critic Right, that that there's a, there is a value to that. I mean, it can obviously shut you down if it's not balanced. Um, but you know, I think we see, especially in music, a lot of people that don't take that criticism seriously enough, especially coming from within. And it just, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't
2: work. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of re- different reasons people get into making pop music. Yours? Mine? Because I love music no. and because. Because I can sing and I can do the other stuff, and so I have a mind for putting it together. Yeah, so I want to talk
1: about that a little. You, you, I read an interview talking about the Drake sample, and you used an interesting phrase that that you and he have very different mission statements. Mm. So, how would you describe your mission statement for for what you're doing?
2: Um. My mission statement, I guess, well, it, it included in it would be that it, it's it's to make beautiful music that is healing, and that at no point in any way is at anybody's expense. So, so I would I, I would I, I would never put out a message that was derogatory hmm. in an attempt to align myself with a certain pop tradition or a certain acceptance into a. I feel like there's certain things that you can say that make you more. Prone to being played at, at you know to to being in, in in the pantheon of like yeah of like party artists or people who are relevant in a very like culturally relevant now today mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and a lot of that includes like like I don't know foregoing human dignity, especially with women
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah you know and, and just kind of acting like it's cool to to be shallow in certain ways mm-hmm. and um that doesn't take away from any of these great artists, but a lot of them they have they have a lot of points like that. Yeah. And, and if you don't do that, you get labeled as a backpack or like conscious or like soft or something. Yeah. And so, I I want to I want to accept the challenge of, of of not of not stooping low. Um, yeah. And then and then musically, I'm I'm not really trying to align myself with what I'm hearing, in, you know, in all these in all these different formats and these like avenues that that you can set out to make music in. Mm-hmm. Try to do something I've never heard before.
1: Notice that you're so you're playing for different crowds. You know, last night a hotel cafe, playing with Glass Animals, being on tour with Lenny. I saw there was a Matt Deason show you played. So very different audiences. So how does that work?
2: Like what do you do when, when the crowd's not feeling it? Keep playing. Just keep there's very little I can do to change yeah. what I'm doing. Cause that's what I'm doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So when you played for Mad Decent, was there? Did they get it? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it wasn't like the staff of Mad Decent or anybody no, who no, really no. represents like that right. style. It, all sorts of artists were playing on that bill, and um, and you know that was at South by Southwest, so right. so anybody's going to be there or nobody. That was actually a very poorly attended show. Was it? Yeah, and, and most of the people in the crowd were people that that, that liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I think that's part of being a musician today where, you know, traditionally things were much more divided around genre lines Mm. and there was a much better chance that, you know, if you're opening for someone, you sound pretty close to what that guy is going to sound like in the past. Mm -hmm. I think today that's very different, obviously, with festival culture that, you know, you're playing for a much more diverse audience who, who has, you know, whole different sets of tastes and... Uh, not just sonically, but the energy and the, the vibe that they're looking for.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you can still look back, though, and see examples. Like, w- w- we were at the Fillmore on Sunday, um, and I saw M- Miles Davis opening for The Grateful Dead, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And um, when when I was on the road with Lenny, I asked him what his first big tour was so I could kind of wrap my head around what it must have been like for him. Yeah. And his first big tour was with Tom Petty. Oh wow! And that's pretty different. Yeah. Um, especially on the record he was touring on, where where he his Let Love Rule is a very dry record. It's mm-hmm. not a lot of reverb, <coughs> funky, you know, a um, little bit psychedelic. And then Tom Petty, you know, it's like a kind of like a middle of the road pop right. powerhouse. Yeah. And then after that, he did Bowie and Bob Dylan. And so on the next records, Lenny was playing more like, more like funky stadium rock music, mm-hmm. but still funky Led Zeppelin inspired. Yeah. So so the contrast with Bob Dylan must have been, I was imagining he must have played him off the stage. Sure, but not really because because of the legend, you know. And yeah, people were there to see of the one stature thing. of these
1: other artists. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was reading Herbie Hancock's autobiography, and he talks about uh, the Wandishi band, which was his like Afro. Uh, period that he went through this really like psychedelic soul thing he was doing and mm. he got booked to open in central park for iron butterfly mm. and like he said you know they were up there he was used to being herbie hancock and playing with miles davis and all of a sudden they were up there nobody got it mm. and uh kind of like you said you just power through it you just play yeah because if, if, you're there to if, play
2: yeah if you're gonna go around changing what you do based on how people react yeah. then you're never really gonna Fulfill your your mission. Mm-hmm. You just yeah. get, you're just going to end up kind of diluted. So when you're out with Lenny...
1: Well, I'm curious. What did he do that surprised you?
2: I don't know. I can't say that he surprised me very much. I, d- I definitely... Any, did you anything about him? I, I didn't have a preconceived... I didn't really... Set out to think what he would be doing, okay, you mean on stage yeah, just or in general in general any surprises with that N- no experience? surprises. what I can say is that you know he, he very disciplined um, in, in terms of you know not 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 partying, not drinking, not smoking mm. um, no no alcohol in his personal rider, just uh dr- drinking water little sips at a time, personal steam inhaler mm-hmm. um, humidifier in the room. Work, out before the show, running around the arena. Wow. Mm-hmm. What, well, what do you think he taught you? That. Yeah. Yeah. And take care of yourself. Take care of yourself and don't, you know. Um, yeah. Twenty years down the road, it's not like as as interesting as it seems. It's like yeah, playing to ten thousand people who 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 it looks like would kill for you mm-hmm. loses. I'm sure some of the thrill and you you realize that you have to you have a lot to. A lot is riding on your back, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a job. You have a 50-person crew right. whose salaries you're paying, mm-hmm. and the show must go on, so you've got to really take care of yourself because there's nobody else who can get up there and sing the words that you have to sing. So, like, he has to really protect that. And he he was he had laryngitis on the tour. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was, like, really, he's playing on a broken leg. That's what he said. Wow. But, yeah, so just, just the, the ability to, like, really be within yourself and not to let excitement kind of, like, distract you and take you outside of, like... Mm-hmm. your intention that mm-hmm. that was that was huge, yeah 'cause i was i had so much adrenaline on on the on the road that I had to take it out somehow it was it, it was just like to so you take to it be on an stage? artist to be an yeah and end off mm-hmm. to be an artist at this at this point um going from playing to two hundred people at most to playing in front of seven thousand eight thousand ten thousand people it was it was just like a, an energy injection that that like I didn't really know how to handle yeah mm-hmm so, how does that change things for you? You get back to New York after the tour,
1: you know, you get up the next morning, and like, does it feel like the world is
2: different for you? Or is, or how does it, what does that do in, in your brain? I think that in my brain, it, it just brought to mind that now is the time to be world class. That's all I could think of. Mm-hmm. And wondering whether I was and what I could do better. So one
1: of the themes that we we want to explore is is about fame and and success and how that happens. And I think, you know, we we talk about culturally, we talk about the Justin Biebers who were not famous one day and the next day they were. But for most people, that's not what happens, right? It happens in small steps that build cumulatively, cumulatively. Mm. And I'm curious, and and I you know I think we're seeing that with you, right, that you've had these milestones at this point in your career. So I wonder how much you notice those. Like how much do you notice that? Is there a day you wake up that's like where I am today is different than where I was yesterday?
2: I think the most noticeable thing is is in terms of like people in my age group, my peers, mm-hmm. and the way they regard me or address me. Based on what they see uh, online, yeah, which is now how people find out about each other's lives. <clears throat> what, what's an example? People seeing, thi- you know, people seeing things in the world, but also on, on Instagram, seeing what, what, what maybe my touring schedule is, or, or 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 you know, or whenever something's posted online about things that are happening, mm-hmm. um, then people start imagining. What your life must be like, or something, and then when they when they call you or text you or to congratulate you, or when all you're getting is just texts of people congratulating you and no nothing else,
1: right? You How know? does that feel?
2: It, it feels cool, but then after a while, it it, it loses its um yeah. its immediate value, and it becomes a, a gesture that you recognize from afar, mm-hmm. and so you it, it then it loses all of its value and mm-hmm. becomes an empty gesture. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so then when when that when most of your interactions with people become Oh, congrats on Drake, or congrats on this. And after a while, you 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 miss the diversity of the interactions you used to have. Mm-hmm. But that that's why you have family, and that's why you have good friends. And then, and it's not like it's to to a crazy degree for me. I still it I, will I, be. I still I still feel very very chill. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I imagine that changes over time. That like gets harder and harder to filter out. And I think that's. You can see how people become jaded in that
2: situation, right? For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mostly people have been going, yo, you've been killing it. Congrats. Congrats on everything. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a phrase that I hear a lot. And sure. so depending on what kind of day I'm having, sometimes it, it works like it has an adverse um, effect on me when I don't feel like I'm personally killing it in my okay. day-to-day life. Uh, yeah maybe it makes you feel disconnected from people because they they don't get it you know I've been calling my dad a a lot more lately and spending a lot more time with my dad I think that's that's definitely something I could speak to
1: so how does that help
2: he knows me Mm -hmm. you know and 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 we have a space together that nothing really enters into there's no judgment I, I haven't appreciated in value given things that I've done in the world it's just it's just, it's just what it is. It's a relationship of pure love. Yeah, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, keep you,
1: keep you anchored.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because at, cause at first, you know, w- when, when when exciting things are happening, it, your mind does all these somersaults, and you just kind of get to the point where you're excited for no reason, and then you have to like come down and be like, okay, let me get back to work, and let me like, you know because there was a time when, when it was when the only consideration was just purely like the investigation and the execution of making music. Mm-hmm. Which it still is now, but then now it's like oh like x amount of people will hear this as soon as i put it out. Right. Even though it's not a great number, it still it changes a little bit. Yeah. And then you you have to analyze how you how you how your mind behaves, yeah. how it reacts to certain thoughts. And ultimately all that has to be out the window because it doesn't matter. Mhm. Because if you're being appreciated for something that was made in a vacuum when there was no expectation and when nobody cared to find out what you were doing, then that's probably how you should always make it.
1: Yeah, I mean... Or you
2: can feed off of it and make it a positive thing. mm -hmm. Ride the energy.
1: Yeah, although I think you're right that more often than not it becomes a distraction and and it becomes... I mean, I think that's why there are so many one-hit wonders Mm. because you've created something in one set of... You're in one set of life circumstances, and then after that, you're in a completely different situation. And the pressure and the opportunities and the like, your world has completely changed. And then you're expected to go create again, but you're a different person now.
2: Right. And I think from afar, what I can see is that perhaps the daily discipline, leaving the routine, is probably paves the way for that kind of mm-hmm. artistic disintegration. Yeah. Or maybe that the fact that you you know you're not really meant to do it in the first place and that you you happened upon a set of sounds that really worked for that moment. Yeah. Could be. So talk about your your team a little bit cuz I
1: think you know again I mentioned, you know, I'm a big fan of your your management and uh but I I think that that relationship is really special and important and I think probably a lot of people choose, you know, the wrong team for the wrong reasons. And so, you know, I'm curious to know how that dynamic works for you uh, in the sense of, you know, do you have a vision and then your managers are responsible for them for executing that? Are you creating that together? Do they have a vision for you? How does that work?
2: I think right now, the focus is just to 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 get the music to to the right people or to people at all, so just to increase the number of of people who are who are who are you know seeing me on stage or listening to me yeah. and beyond that, in order to really execute an artistic vision, you need the means and so in a in a time of intense investment which which the last five years have been for me. I don't really have that much to play with in terms of like a vision of what my stage show looks like, Mm -hmm. um, of actually having the correct amount of people to play the arrangements and to sing with me, and to really make it, you know, what what I know it's gonna be. Yeah, which is like maybe seven, eight people on stage, all singing and playing, and like, and rehearsing, you know, every day for hours and hours. Like once you can pay people and have the facilities and all that, sure, that's my vision. Yeah. is to like his musical excellence and just to deliver which I have before with, with, with my funk band we had mm-hmm. it, it, it felt m- much more like that because you know it was a lot of us and it was it, it was very tightly orchestrated yeah so on
1: that vision uh I mentioned before you've done Red Bull Sound Select so talk about that a little bit and, and about how you know I'm curious sort of what that program meant to you and um, I'm curious where the um, where you see brand relationships playing a role in, in what you do.
2: Uh, very simply put, I think what Red Bull does is what you know less and less labels are doing now, mm-hmm. which is just putting the money down. Yeah, <laughs> and so um, they. I mean g- g- given the, the capital that they that they're they're allowed to play with and invest ultimately in themselves and their brand but yeah. through uh putting on young artists um it just gives you the opportunity to experience um to experience a level of you know of exposure or or smooth operation mm-hmm. that you wouldn't otherwise given given your current situation mm-hmm um, I, I want to go back to the music a little bit, and I know we talked
1: about Prince and, and D'Angelo. Um, one, one of the things that... Uh, I, I feel like your music is, is very sexual, that it's sort of dripping with that. Is that, um, is that part of how
2: you create... I think that my fascinations with with different grooves and feels translate that way to people. Mm. When I hear people say that smooth and sexy, it's it's hilarious to me. Um, especially when you, if there were videos of me recording the music, when you see like what that looks like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's just this intense focus and probably not the most, you know, me playing drums like, sure, like trying to get it right, yeah. Um so so that's funny to me but I understand how that would yeah. yeah. Um I think the the music I listen to the, the the special attention to groove and then just like the different ingredients the keyboards I mm-hmm. think give that give that feeling to people. Yeah. Um certain types of harmony. Yeah. Um but you know what there's a new song that's pretty sexual crawl is very sexual mm-hmm. in the lyrics. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking back to the e p there's no, there's nothing even oh no six eight has a has a has a sexual tension to it yeah, I definitely took that from six eight yeah
1: so absolutely yeah so uh what do you listen to in those moments? Do you have a go to oh if I can draw influences back no like is there uh is there love making music for you? you listen to your own music? Just kidding.
2: No. Oh, well, no. That would be fucked up. That would be weird. Um, let's Don't see. do that, kids. Um Yeah, like 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 Sara Outcast, Slim Village. Yeah, I guess things that are funkier, smoother. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, we we can hear some of that.
2: I definitely wouldn't listen to Neil Young while making (laughs) love. Let's put it that way.
1: Some people would. Sure, yeah.
2: Yeah. I want to see you dance again.
1: Yeah, I mean, you
2: know, different strokes. Yeah, I mean, once you get up there into your 50s and 60s.
1: (laughs) Well, you know... I think that's an interesting phenomenon that people's musical taste locks in typically at a certain stage in life. And, you know, it's usually like whatever your high school or college music was, you kind of. Stick yeah, with it's, that ba- it's based on like your coming of age a little bit. Yeah, sure. Do you keep up with your music? Is that me? Yeah, I'm very bad at it. <clears throat> Anybody you're checking for? The
2: last two records I listened to all the way through. Or Black Messiah, and to Pimp a Butterfly, Mm -hmm. probably pretty predictable choices for me. But those are the type of artists I value. Mm -hmm. As a musician, it's hard to like be convinced by marketing or by image, especially when you like spend all your time doing music. It's like, you know, so that's really that's what I've been checking out. Mm -hmm. When you write, is there a person?
1: is is there are you writing for somebody
2: hmm. I think in part I'm writing for the respect of like my favorite musicians, but that would be that's like maybe my third consideration down the list. I'm writing for me yeah I'm writing to 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 interest myself and to create something in my life that that is like exciting, yeah. That takes me away from like all the mundane activities.
1: Yeah. Mhm. Um, so we've talked about musical influences. I know, you know, I've seen some interviews where you talked about literature, as well. Mhm. Um, so talk about some non-musical influences, and and how does that work?
2: Um. I'm, I'm a pretty visual person, so I was looking through my. N- through my notes, I don't know if I still have it, but I was I was at a museum, and I was like, "Oh, okay, y- your music needs to be the musical equivalent of this painter, for example," and just however my mm. mind associates the two, two kind of like two ideas that a- any different person is gonna have a different way of relating the color pink to a sound, mm-hmm. even though they do have spectrums for all these things. Sure. Um, so, stuff like that, just to prompt a kind of like um a signal in your brain that maybe you haven't just yeah. new muscles um yeah. yeah, so like so like painters, and then yeah poets poets mm-hmm. they they there's more of a direct line there because of the lyrics,
1: mm mm-hmm. um do you do is there a process when you're when you're getting ready to write or to create music,
2: do you? Go to museum? Is there like some process you go through to get that inspiration? No, I would just say that anything like that that's happening in my life will find its way in there. Yeah. Um, but some, I think, yeah, sometimes I've gone on walks or I went to the botanical gardens just because I was, I'd had nothing, mm-hmm. no ideas. Sure. But I think learning other people's music is a great way to get that started. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Learning something you, you don't know. Right. Because then you have a new piece of language. Yeah. Do you find that, that doing that then, like I've heard people
1: say that they don't, you know, they don't want to listen to other music while they're creating because mm. maybe it, it directs them too much. Do you find that or is that, are you able to distance?
2: Yeah. Uh, just in general, yeah. I, I, as, I, I, cause like, you know, the food you eat makes you look and feel the way mm-hmm. you feel and look. And I think it's the same with music. Know, or anything the shows you watch the yeah. things you read the things you talk about the emotions that you allow yourself to feel they they pretty much shape your experience mm-hmm. So after a while if, if you're if you're just if, if you just watch TV all the time then then you're not really gonna have very interesting thoughts right because all these commercials are designed by psychologists and it's like based on very deep-seated, um um insight into the human psyche mm-hmm. and it's in, it's designed to make you feel uninspired and inferior so that you buy things yeah so or just watching stupid tv shows where all you're seeing is like petty human interactions or mm-hmm. like jealousy anger you know then then you're going to you're not going to be able to come from a place of like compassion or or just being within yourself like being spontaneous, you're just kind of be going to be more by the books.
1: Is there uh, good TV in your mind? Like, are there any? Shows I love Cosmos. There? Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's I, cool. I love Cosmos. Yeah. Visually, it's super stimulating, and then yeah, it's really interesting. Well, yeah,
1: that's a great example, I think, because it takes a you know pretty heady, sort of non-TV topic, and doesn't dumb it down, but makes it relatable. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, I think, maybe a good metaphor for what good music can do, too. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Make it feel good. Absolutely.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, nice, man. Well, thanks for joining us on the show. I hope you'll come back next time you're in town. I will. And uh, we will be checking for you online. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. subscribe to the show we're on soundcloud.com slash rebel underscore radio you can also hit us on twitter at rebel radio net and i hope you enjoyed listening i'm josh levine for rebel radio